Check, check. Hey, this one's working now. I'll try again. Hold on. So it seems that... um, Some of the hardest sermons to preach are the ones that need to be preached to us first. And so um, I think we can all testify that this morning as we've been walking through the service, the Lord has us on a journey of learning more and more about the breadth of his love and the sufficiency of his grace. And um, as I've worked through the text this week, I've very much been on that same journey And I don't think we've reached a stopping point yet. Um, And so if this comes out a little jumbly, please understand that. I'm preaching this to my spirit just as much as I am to yours. And so we are at Acts chapter 15, if you want to pull out your Bibles. And that's on page 1716. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among the Gentiles that they might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. 
Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord, who does all these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and for blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city, from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to begin with a short confession, if you'll entertain me. So on weeks when I know that I have to get up here on Sunday, about Saturday or Sunday afternoon the week before this pressure, starts to build in me and this weight starts to land on my shoulders and this weight says that unless I am extraordinarily holy this week I will not have anything to say when I get up here and there is such a temptation in me to begin to strive and to work extra hard to earn the favor of the Lord And I want to get up a little bit earlier and I want to spend a little bit more time in the word and I want to be extra nice to my coworkers. And those are all really good things. But if I'm doing them to earn the favor of the Lord, they are misplaced. And then there's this fear that settles in and there's this fear that, man, if I mess up this week, if I'm not very nice and if I don't pray enough and if I don't work hard enough, there is just no way that I will have anything to say to you this morning. And I don't think that I'm alone in this kind of behavior. I think we all have those weeks where we think, man, I've been in church like four weeks in a row. I bet God is really happy with me. Or there are times when we think, you know, I need to muster up just a little bit more strength and I need to maybe work a little bit harder for for God to love me. And there's this recurring fear that, you know, if we, if we lapse back into a sin or if we do something really wrong, that somehow we've lost the favor of God. That somehow we're no longer worthy of his love or his salvation or his grace or his provision. And this is a debate that's been around since the very beginning of the world. It's a question that's faced by the early church that we talk about this morning. You see, Paul and Barnabas had gone to Antioch, and this is a place where most of the people there are Gentiles. They were not raised to be Jews. And Paul and Barnabas have been preaching this beautiful gospel that says that your salvation, your grace was purchased on that cross, and all you have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ who died for your pardon, and you are set free from your sin, and you are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And that gospel of grace had become rooted And people were coming alive in Christ and it was spreading throughout the land. 
And then one day, things changed. Some men came up from Judea. This is the area of Jerusalem where people believe in Jesus, but they're very much cemented in historical Jewish beliefs, right? And I think these were well-meaning people. I think they heard the news that Gentiles were believing in the gospel, and they thought this is really great that these Gentiles have learned about Jesus, but they also need to learn about the law of Moses. And so with good intentions, they went up to Antioch, and they began to preach, and they said, Jesus plus the law. Now, do you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Gina preached about the concept of Jesus plus, right? I think most of us can say we believe in Jesus, but what other idols do we have? So what's being presented to the church in Antioch is Jesus is great. Plus, make sure you're following that law. Otherwise, your salvation is null and void. It's a huge contradiction. And as you can imagine, it creates quite a conflict. And Paul and Barnabas start to argue with this because it's not, it's not the gospel that they've been preaching. This is an internal conflict. So we've seen lots of conflict externally, right? We've seen um, Jews who are not Christians coming against the believers. We've seen pagans coming against the believers externally. And Satan has realized that his hitting on them from the sides isn't working. And so he's trying to combust them internally. It's an internal conflict. And so Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem to deal with this conflict, to find an answer to the question. And this question is, are we saved by Jesus or are we saved by Jesus plus human behavior? And so they go to Jerusalem to answer this question. And as they travel, they stop at various churches and they are preaching the good news of the gospel and sharing how Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit and how God has moved mightily. And no one bats an eye and they rejoice that God is moving. But they get to Jerusalem and they are well received. They come into the council of all of the leaders that have gathered to debate this question and they share the good news of what God has been doing throughout the land. And everyone's excited and they're hearing and then a Pharisee stands up. Now, it's important to note that this Pharisee isn't the Pharisees that we're used to. So far, we're used to Pharisees who do not believe in Jesus and are in complete opposition of the gospel. But in this case, we have a Pharisee who has received Jesus. He's a Christian. He's a believer, but he's still part of the political group of the Pharisees. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I read the voice of the villain, he sounds a lot angrier, right? This Pharisee is angry. But really, I think, again, he's well-intentioned and he stands up and says... We've been steeped in the law, and that's been really good for us. The law has set us apart for God. It's been the purpose of the law the whole time. The reason that we have the law is because in a world of chaos, in a world of plurality with no truth, the people of God have historically stood on the law and said, no, there is one God, and he has given us a way to live that produces human flourishing. And this has been good. And so what are we supposed to do with this grace of Jesus that says that the law isn't part of the game anymore? What do we do with this? So they start to debate amongst themselves. This is the Jewish way. They go to the synagogue and they talk and they debate and they go round and round and round. And at one point, Peter stands up and he walks to the center of the room and he says, Brothers, we have covered this before. 
Do you remember back in Acts chapter 11, Peter, by a series of divine appointments set up by visions and dreams, had landed himself in the Gentile home of Cornelius? And he had not even preached the gospel, and the Holy Spirit had, it just fell on the people, and they received the gospel and they believed. Peter says, don't you see what's at stake? If you want to say that the gospel, that salvation is built on Jesus and the law, then you are literally undoing what he did at Cornelius's house. You are telling me that your logic is more important than the hand of God that fell at Cornelius's house. Now, previously, the law had been followed as a way of purification. We followed the laws to be pure. We were circumcised to be pure. And Peter makes a good point, And he says, their hearts were purified not by circumcision or the law. Their hearts are purified by their faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus Christ that now produces purification because faith in Jesus Christ is union with Jesus Christ, who is pure. And we are only pure through Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he starts talking about the law. And he says, if God has confirmed this, why would you put that yoke of the law on these new believers if you and I who were raised under this yoke were incapable of bearing it? See this yoke, you see this picture? I can't do it very well, but like oxen bear this weight, right? This yoke. It was the yoke that was put on people at the fall in the garden, and it's this yoke that humans have never, ever, ever been able to care or bear, or bear. and it is this yoke that is the reason for Jesus Christ. So Peter says, God confirms this, and if you say no to it, you undo this. And if you put this yoke on them, you literally undo the cross. Because if that yoke is still on you, and if it's still on me, and if it's still on them, then Jesus did nothing up there. Nothing. And this is what is at stake with this conflict. So then this begs the question, what is the proper relationship between faith in Jesus Christ and within the law? How do they go together? And so after Peter is born witness of how God has moved and shares about the unfair yoking here, and Paul and Barnabas get up and they confirm the same story and they say, we've seen God confirm the sufficiency of his grace and faith in the Gentiles who know nothing of the law. Then James gets up and he says, you know, in the law, in the prophet Amos, we were actually told that this was coming that the house of David would be rebuilt and it would be restored in Jesus Christ and it would be restored in such a way that even the Gentiles are included in this benefit of salvation. So God has confirmed it. The word has confirmed it. And then James goes on and does something really confusing. He says, let's write the Gentiles and give them another set of rules. This is probably the first question I had when I read through the text. Why would you say that that the law isn't part of the game and then say we should tell them about the law? So this this set of laws that that James talks about has to do with pagan ritual temple worship. So it's a set of rules that goes back to Leviticus 
Leviticus was the book of the law for the Jews when they were living in the promised land. And these laws specifically had to do with strangers who had come into the group and who were worshiping Yahweh, their Lord, but had taken pagan temple ritual worship and applied it to God. And so in pagan temples, there was sexual immorality and there was unholy sacrificing and they were starting to do this in the context of the covenant. So the laws that James is sending has nothing to do with perfecting or striving or earning the favor of God. Rather, these laws have everything to do with discipleship. James is saying the Gentiles are saved by their faith and we need to help them to know how to worship God properly, to worship God in fullness, to disciple them into the fullness and love of Christ that comes with salvation in him. We are saved because of the love of Jesus on that cross. And because of it, the law has a completely different role because if we are truly living in and out of love, we don't even need the law because we are abiding by the law if we are living in love and living out of love. Now, this whole debacle doesn't just exist in Acts. It's actually the reason that we have the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is this letter that James said we need to write to the church in Galatia to talk about these things. And I think there's a reason this letter was written, and I think there's a very important reason that it lands in the Bible that you and I hold this morning. Because it is a debate that you and I face probably every single day. Feels like some big theological thing, right? Like, I know I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But how many of us fall victim to thinking that we need to earn his love on a particularly rough day? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How many of us mess up really big and think, man, I'm done. I'm out. I don't like the image, but it's the best one we've got, I think. Satan loves to drag out dead horses and beat them. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't beat a dead horse? It's already dead. We have already been told that we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And he loves to come on out and say, are you really? Are you really? Are you holy enough? Do you keep the law? Are you free from messing up? And the fact of the matter is that none of us can bear that yoke. And this is why this letter exists. And as I was contemplating this, I was thinking about the concept of a memorial stone. So in in the Old Testament, whenever God would display his faithfulness in a battle would be won, the people would be called to set up stones to remember the faithfulness of God. And so when the children of Israel crossed out of Egypt through Jordan River and it split, God called Joshua to set up 12 stones by the Jordan River to to remind them of the faithfulness of God in carrying 12 tribes of Israel through a river. And when Jacob wrestled with God, at the end he set up stones to say, I wrestled with God. And I was put on the right path. And when God won wars for the Israelites so that they may have the promised land promised to them, they set up memorial rocks to remember 
And so when the very road to salvation is questioned by the early church, Peter and Paul and Barnabas go back to these memorials of faith, these moments when God has shown his faithfulness to the Gentiles, these moments when he has confirmed his message with signs and wonders, and these moments when people have been built up in love, when their lives have been built on the love of God and not on their own behavior. We are on a journey this morning. We are on a journey of learning that there is absolutely nothing we could do or could not do to change the love of the, God, of the, love of the Father for us. We are on a journey of learning that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father, as Pastor Dave read this morning. And I think we're on a journey of remembering the ways that he's been faithful so that we can tell Satan to take that dead horse and bring it back home because we've been saved. We've been saved by faith. We've been saved by grace. And ultimately, we've been saved by love. So I think I'm going to close this with prayer. So Lord, we are overwhelmed by your love that our brains cannot even comprehend. Would you continue to speak with us and to show us the depth of your love And the breadth of your love, Lord, would you set us free from striving and from seeking to earn your love and help us to rest in the peace that your love is sufficient for us. Would you continue to be with us on this journey? Would you continue to build our lives on your love? Amen.